Weddings. Weddings are um, are pretty special and um, a great celebration. Um, If it's a close friend or family, um, it can be like a real joyous occasion. Finally, my brother Michael um, asked Charlotte to marry him. And so, you know, they'll be tying the knot uh, next year and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Really, really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a great time celebrating this momentous occasion with them. Um, for those that are already married, uh, I'm sure you can remember the big day well. Andrew and Naomi might be a bit difficult for you guys because you had so many different celebrations in so many different countries. What was it, 20 celebrations in eight different countries? Um, <laughs> it's hard to remember probably each one. But Andrew, it's probably going to be h- handy later on when it comes to your wedding anniversary, you've got this three-month window to get Naomi some, um, <laughs> some flowers. So, um, be good in the long run. But weddings, they're, they're a joyous celebration. Um, if you're a celebrity, you can't hide from it. Uh, last month, George Clooney, uh, they got married in Italy. I don't know his wife, but um, the guy got married. <laughs> um, and it was plastered all over the news. Um, you probably remember the royal wedding in 2011. It's estimated that 2 billion people around the world watched it. 2 billion. Today we're going to hear about it, the greatest celebration imaginable. Thanks Robin for reading the Bible passage for this morning. Um, we're going to take a closer look at it. I think it's important though before we, we sort of jump into the meaning of this power, powerful parable, we need to understand the background, the context of it. Um, Jesus told this dramatic parable to a specific group, to a specific, um, in a specific time, um, but it has far greater implications um, f- for us. Um, so let's first establish, establish the historical setting. This parable was told on Tuesday, Tuesday of the last week of our Lord's life in ministry. For the past three years, Jesus has been preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He has been proclaiming to be the true Messiah, the saviour of the world. Jesus has invited the people of Israel, that's God's chosen people, into his kingdom. News about him has spread and um, it's now sort of coming to a bit of a climax. The excitement's building up. The religious leaders have rejected him and they're extremely hostile towards him. They're looking away to kill him. In fact, they're already making plans to kill him. We know that on the coming Friday, what's going to happen to him? They're going to hand him over, put on trial, crucified and then on Sunday he's going to rise again. So this parable is told on Tuesday Let's go back a few days to the, fr- the f- previous Friday. Um, Jesus arrives in Bethany um, with his disciples um, to Lazarus' house. Word gets out that Jesus is in town and on Saturday a large crowd come to meet him. On Sunday, Jesus makes the way into Jerusalem and the crowds hail him as king. They, they laid palm branches and their cloaks at his feet and sung, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. And they're wishing with all their hearts 
that Jesus is that military Messiah who will free them from the Roman oppression and bondage. They hope that Jesus will attack the Romans but instead on Monday he, Jesus goes straight to the temple courts and attack the Jewish religious system. He drove out the money changers. He, he, he drove out all those that were selling merchandise and cleared the temple. God, in, God had intended it to be a house of prayer but they had turned it into a den of robbers. So he cleansed it. That was Monday. So the next day, being Tuesday, Jesus returns to the temple. This is when he tells the parable. People have gathered to hear him teach. It's the centre of attention. And he's calling people to himself. The religious leaders are there, um, standing, watching, and they feel threatened. They're threatened by his teaching. Because Jesus... He speaks of an internal righteousness, a true salvation that they know nothing about. They're only fixed on an external self-righteous religion. And so Jesus is a threat to their system. In verse 23 of chapter 21, we read that the chief priests and the religious leaders came up to him and asked, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? In other words, show us your credentials. Who are you? Who gave you this authority? Who do you think you are? Who gave you the right? Show us your papers. Who is your rabbi? Who taught you? Can you sense their anger? Jesus had given them three years of ministry and yet they still couldn't face the facts. They wanted more evidence. So Jesus answers them with a trilogy of parables. The main passage of these the main message of these parables is a message of judgment. The first parable we're reading verses twenty eight to thirty two of chapter twenty one. It's a parable of two sons. Um, one does the will of the father and the other doesn't. Uh, the, the second parable uh, we read in verses 33 to 44 this is a parable of a master of a house who leases out his vineyard. The tenants take over the vineyard and reject the owner. The third parable was read earlier in um, chapter 22 verses 1 to 14 and we're going to take a closer look at that. The wedding banquet. In each parable there is a form of rejection and an element of judgement. In essence, Jesus is saying, you have rejected me. Even though I fulfilled all prophecy, even though I performed incredible miracles, you've rejected me. And so now God rejects you. This third parable can be broken up into three sections. The first section, I like to call it the the invitation rejected. The invitation rejected. So we read in verse 1, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. By the way, what's a parable? 
parable is a story. A story with a spiritual truth. It's like an analogy, a metaphor. Every good teacher knows that you need a story um, as, as a tool for teaching. A story is very handy because you can teach what is unknown. You start off with the known so you can teach the unknown. Teach something abstract, something that's difficult to understand. And so he uses, Jesus uses many stories to teach. So Jesus, having grown up in their society, in their culture, tells this story that contains a profound spiritual truth. Now the story we read in verse 2 is about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus always talked about the kingdom of heaven. It's what he liked talking about. See, they wanted him to talk about other things but he kept coming back to the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's why he'd come, to show us what it's like, to show us how to be part of it. Jesus' teaching on the kingdom was a development of the Old Testament teaching, showing us that through him the kingdom found its fullest meaning. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Or in other passages, the kingdom of God? Put simply, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. It's not defined by a geographic location or an era of existence or the nationality of people, but by the sovereign rule and authority of God. The person who enters the kingdom of God enters the realm where he accepts God's rule. So this story is about God's world, God's dominion. So he goes on to say, it's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Your Bible may say a wedding feast. Now, a wedding is very different in those days. Very different. Um, and, and I think it's important for us to understand what it was like so we can understand the parable. Now, a wedding in those days didn't consist of um, just a, a ceremony and a reception on the one day like it does today. A wedding in those days... Um, the ceremony would, would last seven days, maybe more. Um, in those days, the wedding feast happened in the home of the groom or a family member. So you'd be o- invited over to their place and um, you'd, you'd stay there and the host would provide everything you needed. There'd be great rejoicing and celebration late into the evening. So in this story, it's a wedding feast hosted by a king. Of all people, it's a king. So you can imagine how elaborate it is and how it's going to be. There's not going to be any holding back. This would be, part of, this would be the party of all parties. I was looking at some figures from the royal wedding in 2011 and I was astonished by how much they could spend. Take the wedding cake, for example. Have a guess how much that cost. Ten grand? Ten grand? Um, try 80 grand. Um, what, about the, uh, what about the flowers? Lots of flowers? 200, not even close. Sorry? Yeah, 200,000. This is 800,000. 800,000. The total budget for the wedding, including the wedding dress, you know, the church service, the music, food, decoration, security, everything else. Um, was estimated to hit 
$32 million. What? <laughs> this is all just for one day. One day. So the story in the parable is a great celebration. Okay, it's been put on by a king. Um, by the way, there's no mention of a bride in this parable. So the focus isn't on the wedding as such, um, but the celebration as a whole. Okay, Jesus wants the listeners to know that this is going to be the greatest celebration imaginable. This is a wedding celebration thrown by the wealthiest person imaginable for the most honoured person imaginable. It's going to be grand, it's going to be spectacular, it's going to be glorious. You got the picture? Yeah? Jesus wants us to know that the kingdom of heaven is going to be the greatest celebration imaginable. Now let's, let's look at verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Now in those days a wedding uh, was announced, um, an invitation was sent out to notify the guests that the wedding was on and, and that they'd actually been invited. Once preparations had been made, those invited were called upon to attend. So when we read that his servants went out to call the invited, we can assume that they had already received the preliminary invitation. Now, if, if you got an invitation to the royal wedding, you'd probably find it hard to keep it quiet, I reckon. Um, I don't think they had Facebook back then, um, but you can kind of imagine what they'd be talking you know, on the streets. You know. Guess what? There's a royal wedding coming up and I'm invited. Um, or it might be you know, those that are a little bit uh, less subtle. They might get their invitation when people come over, just sort of leave it on the table, you know, or uh, just on the fridge, you know, maybe in a frame or something. Um, but I'm, I'm sure they would have been pretty, pretty proud about it, you know. Um, but it's, it says um, that they, they would not come. They refused to come. I just... It doesn't make sense, does it? They refuse to come. And, and when Jesus is telling this story, you can kind of imagine in the crowd that the people are sort of gasping, what? They're not coming? This, this is just inconceivable. No one in their right mind would do that. For starters, free food. Free food for a whole week. Where's Steve? <laughs> not just like any food this is like royal food it's going to be seconds, thirds every meal every day how can you say no to that, it's a great deal second can't say no to a king most days if you upset the king you lose your head doesn't make sense. So what's the king's response? He's a gracious king, a very kind king. Verse 4 reads, read it with me, it says, Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He gives them another chance. 
Come on, everything's ready. I've got all the food, I've got all the decorations, music's ready to go. Come on, the festival's ready. In verse 5 we read, uh, but they paid no attention. They paid no attention, can you believe this? They went, it says they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. They acted as if they didn't even care. Completely unconcerned. One to his field, another off to his business. Too busy with their own stuff to go to the celebration. He thought that was pretty bad. Wait to hear the res- how the others responded. Verse 6. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. This is just getting ridiculous. Why the hostility? This is unheard of. They killed the guys that came and invited them to the party. Who does that? Let's just pause for a moment. What does, it, what does this all mean? story is fairly clear. The kingdom of heaven is God's sovereign rule. The sphere in which God has authority. Who's the king? Well, that's God. And the son? Well, that, that's, that has to be Jesus. Who's the invited? Well, those called are the Jews, the nation of Israel. The people who are actually listening to Jesus tell this parable. The servants? Well, they're the messengers. John the Baptist, disciples, the apostles. Some theologians like to assign the different stages of the invitation to distinct um, people. John the Baptist being the first stage and the second stage, the apostles. Well, that could be the case. Very well, maybe. But I, I think the point that Jesus is trying to make here in this parable is that the King, God, is very gracious. He gives chance after chance. He just doesn't give up just after the first call. Although this parable is aimed at the Jews, we can see how people respond to the kingdom of God. The parable describes two groups of people. One group don't care, they pay no attention, they're unconcerned. I'd like to suggest these people are like many circular people today. They are so preoccupied with the earthly possessions that they don't have any time for the spiritual things. They're more interested in the stuff, earning more money, growing their business, all the things that don't count for eternity. Finding their satisfaction in the pursuit of worldly pleasures and they miss out on the real celebration. The second group are hostile. They try anything to stamp out the truth. These people, I guess, are involved in false religion. How did Israel's leaders respond to the ministry of the apostles? Well, they rejected the word and persecuted the church. The same rulers who permitted John the Baptist to be killed and who asked for Jesus to be killed themselves killed Stephen and later Herod killed James. Today, Islam are killing Christians. Atheists are attacking the church. False religion is actually very hostile. So the simple message of the parable is this. The invitation is rejected. Do you think those Pharisees knew 
that Jesus was talking about then? I think he did. Turn back in your um, Bibles to chapter 21. Let's look at verse 5. Uh, sorry, verse 45. It says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. There's no doubt they were listening, but they didn't feel any remorse. How does the king respond to the invitation being rejected? Well, the king has a limit. Verse 7 reads, The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. There comes a point when enough is enough. The king has given them chance after chance. When they kill his servants, look at what it says, he was enraged. What does he do? The king sends his armies, that is Titus and his Roman legions in 70 AD, to destroy Jerusalem, most of its people. So the parable has prophetic um, message to it as well. The city is destroyed, the temple is raised to the ground, men, women, children killed. Let's move on to the next section. The invitation is open. Verse 8, we read, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Why did the king reject these people? It says they did not deserve to come. They were unworthy. Why were they unworthy? Is it because they weren't ethical enough? Is it because they weren't spiritual enough? No, they weren't worthy because they didn't accept the invitation. This is an important point here. Worthiness is not dependent on how, um, how, how, what your moral virtue is like. It's not dependent on how spiritual you are. When we get to verse 10, you'll see the invitation goes out to the good and the bad. See, in God's eyes, worthiness has got to do with accepting the invitation. Back in chapter 21, verse 43, Jesus says, The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So in other words, here you have historically the casting off of Israel. The casting off of Israel as a nation and given to, to Gentiles, to everyone. The doors are open. So in verse 9, when it says, So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. The invitation is open. Go to the street corners. Go to the highways. The Greek word literally means the crossroads. And invite anyone you come across. Go to where the people are hanging out. Go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel and make disciples. Isn't that the heart of the gospel? That's where we are today. God will not be frustrated. The festival is going, to, is going ahead. It's going to happen. And there's going to be some guests. Who's going to go? Notice what it says in verse 10. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. He's saying the bad can come too? Well, yeah, 
the bad as well as the good. So what does that mean? Well, in life there's generally good people and there's bad people. There's criminals and then there's non-criminals. Um, this, is, this isn't a, a case of um, you know, Christian or non-Christian. We're not talking about spiritual, spiritual, spirituality. In relation to human morality, um, they come, there are some that are mostly good and there's some that are mostly bad. But when it comes to calling people into the kingdom, there's no discrimination. Everyone's invited. God is calling everybody. God is calling everybody bad and good. And the thing that makes them worthy is not based on what, uh, what they've done, but their willingness to accept the invitation. He calls the worst of people and the best of people. If you want to come to the celebration, you need to accept the invitation. Finally, the last, the last section in the parable. It's very important. I've called it the intruder expelled. We've seen the invitation rejected. The invitation is open. And now we see the intruder expelled. Watch in verse 11. But when the, came, when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. This is pretty absurd, isn't it? If you're going along to a wedding at the king's um, palace, you need to be properly dressed, right? I mean, it's just foolish. Um, what was this guy thinking? But I guess, you know, if you're putting out the invitation to, uh, the, to everyone... Well, you're going to get the good and the bad, aren't you? So, what do you expect? Well, the interesting point is that there was only one person who wasn't wearing the right wedding clothes. There's only one person who wasn't dressed adequately. Some theologians will say that those, in those days the host of the wedding provided a wedding garment. Others say that they, they would have had time to go and home and get prepared. Either way, everybody had access to the right clothes. So the point is that you can't come on your own terms. There will be no gate crashes in the kingdom of heaven. No wedding crashes. You'll stick out. Verse 12. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. The man was speechless. He didn't even have an excuse. Well, Mike, you know... I've only got one suit and my wife took it to the dry cleaners and I couldn't pick it up till Tuesday and, you know, no excuse. It wasn't like he was coming along and, you know, around the corner a cart came and splashed mud and got all dirty and, you know, that was the only one I had. No, no excuse. Didn't even go for the sympathy vote and say, I couldn't afford it, this is the best clothes I have. He was speechless. can't come into the kingdom on your own terms. How does the king respond? Verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Throw him outside, get rid of him. 
doesn't deserve to be here. This reference to the darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth is, is, is a common description of eternal judgment. So what does this mean? There's going to be people that try and crash the party. What sort of people, you ask? Well, I guess these are the people that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. These people will say they prophesied, drove out demons and performed miracles, but Jesus will respond, Out, I never knew you. These people come into the church, they hang around Christians, and I think they're going to the celebration. Or they've got family that's, that believes, and I think they can write off their faith. But when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, you can't get there on your own terms. Can't share wedding clothes. Need your own garment. So you're probably thinking, what's the right wedding clothes? Let's go back to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, verse twenty. I'll show you. I'll show you the garment. Matthew chapter five, verse twenty. It says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What's necessary to to enter the kingdom of heaven? What is it? It's righteousness. A righteousness righteousness that's different from the Pharisees' self-righteous You can't get into God's presence without pure righteousness. The Jews that were hearing this, uh, I think they could understand understand this because they were familiar with Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 which says, "Um, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed arrayed me in a robe of of his righteousness. So to get to the kingdom of heaven, you need the robe of righteousness. When the king saw the man in rags, he said, you don't belong here. So how do you get this robe of righteousness? I'm sure Jesus was was wanting people to ask that. How do you get the robe? Well, the answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we come to love Christ and receive Christ, we receive the righteousness of God. And that's the robe, isn't it? Good and bad people come but once you come, you have a robe. You could be a moral person. Without the robe, you're not welcome. You're thrown out. You could be a formerly immoral person, but once you have a robe, you're righteous. You're welcome to stay. 
Jesus is saying to these people, God rejects you because you have rejected the celebration of his son. Then he opens the invitation up and says to the rest of the world, come, come. But don't think you can come on your own terms. You must be clothed in in his righteousness. You must believe in his death and resurrection. This finishes with a, with a, a simple statement but a vitally important one. For many are invited but few are chosen. Call goes out. Call goes out to everyone but only few are chosen. Broad is the road that leads to destruction but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only if you find it. Salvation is personal and individual. We must accept that God, what God gives us, the righteousness of Christ, and don't try and make it on your own terms. Let's just, um, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's just have a time of reflection. You've all received an invitation. How are you going to respond? What has God been saying to you? What's been God saying to me? Where do I fit in this parable? Have you been ignoring the invitation? Have you been rejecting the invitation? Are you looking forward to the celebration or have you become complacent? Are you prepared for the festival or are you a little nervous? Whatever you're thinking, if you'd like to pray with one of us after the service, David, Bev, Judy and I uh, will be down the front and if you want to You can come down the front and we can pray with you. I'll leave it open. Maybe you might like some prayer for yourself or it might be someone you know. Someone who needs to accept this invitation. The offer is there. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be invited into your wedding banquet. How glorious it's going to be. We thank you for providing the way of salvation, giving everyone access to the wedding clothes, something we didn't deserve. Soften the hearts of those who have rejected you and by your Holy Spirit make it clear to us if we aren't wearing the robe of righteousness. For those who have responded to your invitation, we eagerly await the time we can celebrate eternally with you. Until then, renew our joy. Give us the confidence to share your invitation with someone this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.